Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. And just trust. Believe. <laughs> It was fall of 2007. I was a senior in high school and lived in a house my parents built on seven acres in a small town. There was nothing to do except to go to my friend's house, climb in her convertible, and drive around out in the country. Assume with me, if you will, that I was planning on doing exactly that on this particular day. I got into my car, admiring the pretty orangey-purpley color of dusk, and began to back down the long driveway. I looked in my rear view mirror to make sure I didn't hit a tree or squirrel or something and instead saw the last thing I expected, a young boy. A young boy in my driveway standing very casually behind my moving car as if we'd rehearsed it a million times. For whatever reason, actual logic flew out of the window and scampered off like the damned squirrel I'd been worried about hitting in the first place and I stepped on the gas. Hard. For those not following along, remember I'm backing down the driveway. I saw a child in my rearview mirror and floored my car, in reverse. I feel like the average person would react with slamming on the brakes. I cannot tell you what happened between my obviously disconnected brain synapses at that moment. All I know is that my entire body said nope, and I noped. I looked through my windshield at the point in the driveway where there should have been a smeared body of an unknown child, but there was nothing. Scolding myself for trying to run over a kid, I continued on to my destination and promptly forgot about it. It wasn't until I was returning home, some point after midnight I'm sure, that I remembered. And I only remembered because the kid, the little boy, the one I ran over in the driveway, He was sitting on the back of my dad's car in the driveway when I pulled up, looking at me. He was probably somewhere between six or eight years old. He had red hair and big blue eyes. He wore a blue and white striped shirt and long shorts. He wasn't transparent. He didn't glow. He looked completely solid and normal, except for the fact that the colors were faded. Imagine you take a piece of blue cloth and set it in the sun. You know how, after time, it's still blue but not as vibrant? Yeah, the boy looked like a piece of cloth that sat out in the sun for too long, and he was looking right at me with his faded blue eyes. The only way to accurately explain what I did next is to say that I've achieved teleportation I went from inside my car to inside the house at a speed that defies physics and every law of nature. I don't remember if I slept that night, but I have chronic insomnia, so it's safe to assume I didn't. This little song and dance number with the faded boy continued, weekly. If I arrived home after dark, I often saw him, standing in the front yard, 
sitting in my dad's car, just staring, never moving. He didn't speak. He didn't point or gesture to an unmarked grave somewhere on the property. He didn't sprout additional heads and try to eat me. He just stared. I eventually told my parents. My mom sweetly asked if I wanted to have daddy come with me and try to talk to the boy. Survey says, nope, no thank you. My dad is an ordained minister but looks like a pirate king. He suggested it was a guardian angel. I pointed out that taking the form of a creepy kid is not the best way to make contact with a teenage girl. A month passed, and then some. I adjusted to seeing the boy outside. It was unnerving, but I figured we had an understanding. He stayed motionless in the yard, and I ran like my ass was on fire into the house. As it edged closer to Christmas, I stopped seeing the boy, but began waking up in the middle of the night to the sound of my name being said in my ear by a female voice. I'd sit up in bed, looking around the room illuminated by the light of my computer screen. No one was there. This began happening nightly. The night I stopped sleeping in my room was the night I saw her. Her form was silhouetted by the light of my computer. She appeared to be a teenager, like me. She had said my name. As my sleep-deprived eyes focused, I noticed something was very wrong. Her body was facing me, but when I looked at her face, I found myself looking at the back of her head. I sprinted into the TV room and spent every night there for the rest of my senior year. I never saw either of them again, but just recently at dinner with my family, my mother turned to me and said she was talking to one of the campus cops that works in her school district about ghosts he'd seen. She told him my story, and he responded, Was he wearing a striped shirt? Twenty years later, I was vindicated. I live in the state of Victoria in Australia. So a little bit about me. I'm soon to be a 50-year-old guy, and for the last 12 years, I worked at a local wholesale plant nursery, and I love it. A recent conversation with an old school friend reminded me of a set of preternatural events that took place in the mid-80s and that reached a kind of zenith around 1991. I also think that because both of my parents had passed away a few years ago, I now feel comfortable bringing these events back from the vaults of my mind and retelling what was a really strange time. Back then, we were dirt poor. My mom used to like telling me that we were just above the poverty line. We ate a ton of stew and pasta dishes. We also ate a lot of cabbage and Brussels sprouts. Yuck. I had never even seen broccoli until primary school when I went to my friend Paul's house. Anyways, about five years after putting their names down with the Housing Commission in late 85, our name was at the top of the list. There were apparently two houses on offer, but they settled on a relatively small sandy brick house 
located right next to my old primary school. So I guess you could say a financial burden had been lifted for the first time in my living history. We ate better. My brother actually got new clothes. Kmart brand clothes, of course, instead of hand-me-downs. Things were finally looking up. In 1986, I was in year nine, and Haley's Comet was all anyone at school was talking about. So after some help from Dr. Google, I've narrowed down the window of beginnings here to an event in 1986. One thing that could always be counted on was that my folks always had friends over for drinks on Friday nights. As far back as I can remember, and because my father was hanging around with ex-cons and jail in the 1970s was definitely no picnic, and strict regimen was beaten into you, Routine was everything to these guys. So Friday night from my parents became the night that these people would come around and party and you could always count on the same faces being around. This particular Friday night, however, was different. I mean, the usual people were around and very intoxicated. But there was one lady I had never met before. We'll call her Michelle. She didn't appear to have been drinking much. And later in the night, She talked all of the adults into having a seance. In the 1980s working class society, such families rarely had access to Ouija boards. Papers cut into squares, all assigned a letter from the alphabet, a number value, and a yes or no sufficed. Needless to say, I was a far too short for his age, anxiety-ridden 15-year-old who watched far too many horror movies, read Stephen King, drew dinosaurs a lot, My younger brother was 11, sensitive, but had a rage bubbling just below the surface at all times. Needless to say, we were terrified. But Michelle was laughing and encouraged everyone to put their finger on the glass. My brother and I abstained, of course. It looked to us, watching on the periphery, that she was moving the glass, to be honest. In the beginning, that is. But soon enough, Some strange things happened. The first time was a chime. The sound when you flick an actual crystal glass. The adults paid no mind, but I looked around and could see nobody flicking anything, let alone crystal. Meanwhile, the glass was spelling out something obviously obscene, so Michelle picked up the glass, raised it high, and then waved it about in the air and said, Okay, Time to go now. My mom asked what she was doing, and Michelle looked at her and rolled her eyes. That's how you get rid of spirits when you're done talking to them. I shot my brother a glance, and he was just as unconvinced as I was. Wasn't it letting them out of the glass? She continued on for a while, but it all abruptly ended when the kitchen table actually collapsed on itself. They were laughing and blaming one another, but I couldn't see how it could have happened with all of them sitting around, drunk or not. Maybe one of them leaned on it a bit hard. Maybe. Well, from that night on, for the next two years, just every once in a while, weird things would happen. And I guess it started with small, insignificant things being moved and returned. Knocking would happen on the main back door through the locked security door, mind you. 
Lamps would be turning themselves on and off. The lounge TV would come on, blaring loud in the middle of the night. Seeing figures out of the corner of your eye, but nothing there when you would focus on it. Or even seen diving behind furniture with nobody there when we would check. Everyone who came to visit saw or experienced this, and it was always announced by the crystal glass chime noise. You heard that noise? You knew shit was going to get weird. But not malevolent, just kind of cheeky, playful sometimes, kind of comical. Back in the 80s, my mom had short, kind of thin platinum hair and had it permed to give it some thickness. Plus, she used a ton of hairspray to keep it intact. One night when cooking dinner, we heard that bloody chime, and Mom exclaimed that the ghost flicked the back of her head. Hard to prove normally, but right there on the back of her head was a finger-sized chunk of her hair standing straight outwards as if someone had flicked it, and it was suspended by hairspray for all to see. And then, in the next couple of years, whatever it was, a ghost, poltergeist, presence, it appeared to crave being noticed, and it upped its power, I guess. 88 to 89 were my metal years, so I was growing a fabulous mullet and brushed it almost constantly. I had a tiny mirror on my wardrobe that I had to stand back from in order to see myself to brush it, or embarrassingly, mime songs from Def Leppard or Mr. Big and usually get busted by my mom or my brother. But we somehow acquired these large, old, welded dumbbells that we used as door locks. So, I'm brushing my hair. I forget that I'm alone for a second, and then get pushed back, hard. I quickly regain my balance. But nobody's there. I'm alone. I awoke one night, having kicked all of the bedding down at the foot of my bed, and I was getting cold. I had guessed that my mom came and pulled them back over me. I said sleepily, thank you, and went back to sleep. I remembered at breakfast to thank her, and she looked puzzled. She said quietly that she didn't do it, and my dad had been passed out drunk, so he sure didn't. My brother just gave me that look and said, don't even ask. My friend Addie was staying over, and we were awoken by a lady talking to us in the corner of the room. She looked puzzled and just said, Huh? I, on the other hand, couldn't breathe. It was like I had a lead weight on my chest and I couldn't get any air in. As suddenly as it started, the talking stopped and I took a large gasp of air. Dad put it down to sleep paralysis and nonsense like that, but Addie and I still remember the talking woman. In 1990, my girlfriend, in year 12, had a long day shift at work and came to visit. After a short while, she asked if she could nap in my room before we went out. Sure, no problem. A couple of mates and I were out in the backyard for a little while. When we came back inside, we found my girlfriend, white as a sheet, sitting at the kitchen table shaking. All I could get out of her was that she didn't like that room. 
and refused to go in there with me again for a very long time. It turns out she had a nightmare and was terrified and tried to get out of my room, but somehow the large welded dumbbell that I used to lock the door had somehow moved in front of the door, preventing her from getting out. She finally was able to move it and said she felt something coldly laughing at her. Many of my friends used to crash at ours back then. It was a central place for everyone, and being so young and partying, my parents being cool, it was the place to sleep it off and go home the next morning sober and showered. Many friends, when waking up, either saw a dog, had a dog sniffing their ear or licking their face. However, we had no pets, ever. And the thought that my mom would allow an animal inside is ludicrous. My mom was surgically clean, probably the only control that she could exert at that time, but she lightened up much later. But what she experienced early in 89 had us all sleeping in the lounge for a few weeks. Well, all of us except dad who feared absolutely nothing till the day he died. My mom awoke suddenly and looked at her digital clock. She saw that it was 3 a.m. It was freezing, and she was shivering under her blankets. Unusual, as it was early March. Something wasn't right. She could see a dull, red glow reflected in the gloss finish of the open door. The red mist made its way in slowly. She explained that it was like a miasma on a battlefield in a war movie. There was only fight or flight back then. Freezing wasn't part of the equation. But that's what happened, until it reached the bed and disappeared. She waited, still there, unable to move. And then she felt the pressure of a weight on her bed, like someone had been sitting there or pushed down on it. That seemed to break her paralysis, and she shook my father awake. My dad startled awake, and assured my mom that she was dreaming and it was all okay, and trailed off as he fell back to sleep. It was a deep sleep. It was quiet. For a minute. That is until my dad's body started to tremble. It started vibrating very fast and he was mumbling quietly in a deep guttural tone. My mom made the decision right then. If his eyes are open and his head's turned downward, looking at her, She's rounding us kids up and driving away. Far away. She turned to look at him, terrified. My dad was on his back. It was arched, though. His head on the pillow, his eyes closed. He was mumbling inaudible words. His entire body was shaking violently. His whole body except for his head, that is, which was stock still on the pillow, unmoving. She pulled the covers over her head and tried to sleep. But she got up and sat on the couch in the lounge, which is where I found her curled up in the morning. I said quietly, Mom, you and Dad have a fight? She jumped when I touched her shoulder and went into mom mode with breakfast and cleaning. Dad had already left for work. Mom confided in me later that day what happened, and Dad didn't believe her. An angry atheist and a skeptic. He just had his dinner, 
added to the large amount of beer that he drank at the pub, and went to bed. Mom and us kids, however, opted to sleep in the lounge for about a week, if my memory serves me correctly. But not long after, we kind of all just went back one by one. Not forgetting about it, but time in between fading the intensity of the memory, I guess. What did it want? Did it want to make contact? Who knows? We sure didn't want to. Things settled down for a time, but there was the odd cup sliding from one end of the table to the other in front of my friends and I, the shadow that seemed to lunge behind the couch, only to disappear when we looked. The next large event happened in front of a room full of friends while watching TV. I forgot what the movie was, but the VHS picture started becoming very staticky. So, I got up to check the cables. Only the light above the dining table was on. It was what's known as an L-shaped lounge, with a feature wall separating the kitchen. A shadow started to go across me as I turned back around to shrug my shoulders about the picture problems. They were silently watching this large shadow as it moved across me, and there I was, staring into a void, not being able to see the light in the dining nook any longer. It moved across me and over to the front door, and the light was then again visible, as was the dining table. I stared flatly at my mates. One of them had creeped up the back of the couch and was sitting on the backrest, trying to put some distance between the shadow and himself. I shrugged again, shook my head, and said, I think it's gone for now. Are we good? They just nodded silently, and I have to admit, I was glad that the thing wasn't one of those gaslighting entities that made you seem crazy. So my family kind of started ignoring it. We no longer discussed it, and it slowly went away. We never did cleanse or get a psychic or anything. I think it fed on our fear, and most importantly, my brother's changes during adolescence. I read that they perhaps find this time in people's lives attractive, like a moth to a flame. He was a very angry young man. Not that I blame him at all. I still think a gateway was opened with that silly lady's naive seance. Many years later, when my eldest child was going to the school that was next door to the house, I saw an elder lady out front of the house, waiting for her granddaughter to walk across from the school. She used to stay there until her mom picked her up later. I asked about the house and if she had had any paranormal experiences. She laughed and said no. She said it was a peaceful place to live. I wasn't surprised. I think they were following my brother around. My mother believes that either her father or my dad's father visit us every now and then. I have three short stories of some occurrences my mother and brother have experienced. I'll start with the oldest story. It was early morning of my mom's 16th birthday. It was on a weekend, so she wasn't planning on waking up early. 
until she heard a male voice calling her by her nickname. She thought that it was her brother just trying to bug her by waking her up early, so she stayed in bed and fell back asleep. Eventually, once she woke up, her mom and brother were sitting at the table just about to eat breakfast and asked her brother, Why were you calling my name earlier this morning? He looked at her puzzled, saying, I just got up not long before you, and he claimed he didn't call her name. At this point, my mom thinks back to the voice that was calling her, and thought that it did sound a lot deeper than her younger brother's voice. He being the only possible man to be calling her name in the house, she believes it was actually her late father wishing her a happy birthday. This second story takes place in my dad's childhood home. At the time, my mom was pregnant with my brother. My parents were visiting, so they were staying in the guest bedroom, which was in the basement. The window in the basement didn't have any street lights nearby, so no light was coming in. It was late into the night, and my mom has always been a light sleeper. But this time, she woke up for a very different reason. She opens her eyes and she's on her side, facing my dad. Then she sees a bright light coming from the end of the bed and turns to look. She sees a figure, but this figure is bright. Obviously, she's immediately freaked out and she moves closer to my dad, who is still completely dead asleep. As she moves, the figure also moves, but towards my dad's side of the bed and she curiously, but still terrified, quietly watches. This figure slowly moves from the foot of the bed towards my dad, who is now facing the figure in his sleep. And as the figure reaches my dad's head, it kneels down and looks at him for a bit, then stands back up and just leaves the room. In this encounter, my mom believes it was my dad's late father, as it was his childhood home. She believes he was checking up on him. My final story is actually from my brother. At this time of the story, my brother slept in the basement, while my parents and myself slept on the second floor of the house. Coincidence or not, this occurred in the very early morning of my brother's 16th birthday. So, my brother comes upstairs into the kitchen, where we all are, and asks, did any of you come into my room last night? And all of us reply no. Then he says, My door was wide open when I woke up, and then begins to tell us what happened. He never heard his door open, but in his half-awake state, felt like someone was in his room. He just brushed it off and tried to drift back to sleep, but then he sensed this presence move from the doorway around the foot of his bed towards where he was laying, and then felt breathing near his face. After the breathing on his face, he either passed out or just can't recall anything else as he was half awake. My mom of course claims that this has to be one of our grandpas coming to wish my brother a happy birthday. Obviously, I didn't experience any of these stories personally, so I can't go into extreme detail on what all happened, but what I can tell you is that no one in my family has ever experienced sleep paralysis or even sleepwalking and 
My mom is the only light sleeper out of all of us. I still believe in these stories wholeheartedly and really like the thought that my grandpas, who my brother and I never got to meet, are still checking up on my family and are finally getting to see us. I'm not sure if I've ever experienced anything as I sleep through every alarm I set, but I always did feel something in both of my grandparents' houses and my own childhood home. But that was when I was younger and they always say young kids are more susceptible to paranormal types of things, so I'm not sure if I'll ever really know. But I sure do enjoy thinking my grandpas are watching over us. So we received a good question recently asking us what conspiracy theories we actually believe in. Uh, Andy, yeah, yeah, what do you believe in? Uh, well, I mean, honestly, just the term conspiracy theory is the biggest one for me. I think that the term, uh, and a lot of people believe this, I think somewhere around the 50s or 60s, like Kennedy assassination, when conspiracy theories really started becoming like a pop culture thing, uh, I think that it was invented by the CIA to discredit folks that were onto the truth, so to speak. Oh, I like that. I like that. Yeah, like it was invented to truly gaslight us. But um, honestly, it's really kicked into high gear in the last five or six years in like the political world. You very know? true. Very true. Like the whole like fake news thing and not to get all political, but yeah, you know what I yeah, mean. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't know what is and isn't fake news anymore, but it's to the point now that I'm scared to even joke about conspiracy theories because you can basically be blacklisted so easily just for bringing up certain topics you don't even have to believe them or assert any you know opinion just bringing them up and talking about them it's kind of scary to do these days especially online and i think that that really just proves my point that their strategy exists and it works it's like social engineering which sucks because there really are conspiracy theories that have been proven look at mk ultra it it's a conspiracy that's not a theory. It ended up being 100% true. They were snatching people up and experimenting on them with drugs, hypnosis, even sexual abuse and torture. I mean, we're talking actual CIA literally performing illegal experiments on humans. This is all proven. For example, like Frank Olson, he was a scientist who worked on bioweapons for the government really closely with the MK Ultra program. He was actually dosed by one of his friends who were the head of the MK Ultra program, basically just dosed with acid without him knowing in secret. And then he mysteriously kills himself like a week or two later by jumping out a window. It was wild. There's like a documentary about it uh, I need to check out called Wormwood. But I mean, the, the fact that you people are demonizing people for even having conspiracy theories when there have been multiple scary, terrifying conspiracy theories that have been proven to be true, especially involving, you know, politics and government and things like that. Um, it's just, I, I think that, the, yeah, ultimately my biggest conspiracy theory that I believe is the fact that the conspiracy theory term was invented and utilized by the powers that be to you know, program us to basically gaslight us. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think that there's uh, forces out there that control the puppet strings. You know what I'm saying? 
I think that's just kind of common knowledge. Okay, so you you do actually believe in like like a secret society or like a, like oh, the yeah. powers that be, like higher powers are actually controlling everything. And oh, for sure, just like okay, controlled media and all that, just yeah. everything. Like that's oh, all. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah. yeah, like I already mentioned before, there's definitely a controlled narrative operation going on mm-hmm. to try to get us all on the same page. In some instances, like swaying public opinion. But anyway, as far as like the conspiracies themselves, I mean, it's a pretty innocent one. I don't think it's very controversial to say there's a good chance maybe Epstein didn't actually kill himself. It's so funny because when that happened, they just like we went on to the next news story like it was over. He killed himself. There was there were jokes about it. There were memes about it. Uh, Then nothing. And then all of a sudden they put Ghislaine Maxwell on trial. And we barely got any news in the mainstream media about Mm -hmm. what went on there. And yeah, to not, I mean, that's like, that's like, they left so many breadcrumbs for us. Even people that aren't conspiracy theorists were like, oh yeah, Epstein didn't kill himself. I don't, I think he's still alive. I don't even think he died. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there was those, specifically the, the main thing was there were those pictures that of like his body that they tried to show and in the media where his nose and his ear didn't even really match up to pictures of him when he was alive. Like it, like it was like a fake body or a body double or something. I think he's probably off. Like he's probably still on his Island or some shit like that, man. Yeah. Maybe he's chilling in Monaco catching the formula one races. Yeah. That motherfucker. But yeah, um, that's, that's an interesting topic. I, I, I've tried to shy away from talking about conspiracy theories, like I said, just because it's so easy to just get labeled a conspiracy exactly. theory in a negative connotation when it's... And there's always such like a political slant when there doesn't always yeah. need to be. It's like, no, I'm, I'm not being political. I'm just using my brain, man. I'm just using, using my common sense. <laughs> I'm thinking for myself a little bit, you know. Well, thanks so much for covering this episode's outro. Uh, <laughs> I knew that was going to get you fired up. I yeah. didn't want to skirt my responsibilities, but, you know, I, I kind of sensed that. I knew... I knew this was yeah. going to be a plan to to get me to go off like on my conspiracy nut tangent. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'm sorry I hijacked the outro. We promise we'll do another short story next week. But uh, thanks to all of the patrons for supporting the show. If you want to get access to the ad free versions of all of our episodes at a higher bit rate for a better listening experience, plus other bonus content, head over to patreon.com forward slash odd trails or follow the link in the show notes to sign up today. This week you have heard. An untitled story by a thesaurus addict. Nothing was the same after the seance by Scotty and paranormal experiences of my family by Samantha. We'll see you guys next week. Stay safe. Peace out.